0: a few weeks ago was Halloween. And Halloween was not anything like what normal Halloween is like, but I know many of us tried to keep some semblance of a normal Halloween tradition. And so our family did what we always do, which is we bought some big bags of candy to put out for kids that we knew weren't going to come by and get it. Um, But I have my own Halloween tradition that I just had to continue this year. And That is, before the candy goes out, I like to hold a little back. I like to get into the bag and see what I like and hold some aside for myself for later. And my kids love to point out, Dad, that candy's not for you. And I think, you can save your judgment. I'm good. I'm happy with my decisions. I like to hold a little back, and I don't know if there are things in your life, big or small, where you like to hold a little back. Maybe a school project or a work project that you just, you did did a good job on, but you knew you could have worked a little harder and you just decided, that's enough. I've done enough. Maybe you had friends coming over and you didn't know how much you really liked them, so maybe you held back the good stuff, you held out a little bit. I know for me personally, when I think about my own life and even Several years ago in in one of my my work roles, there was a season where I knew that I was holding something back. And I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but where through a series of projects and tasks and um, events and even studies that that I looked back and I knew that I wasn't giving it my all, that I wasn't mailing it in, I wasn't just completely checking out, but I, I knew I wasn't giving 100%. And here's why because I was afraid. I was afraid that if I had given 100% and then it still just went okay, it still just was mediocre, what would that say about me? And so I found myself being comfortable holding a little back. And I know for all of us there are things in our lives where we hold a little bit back, but like Mara said earlier, our our sermon topic today is about one of the practices that we regularly engage in when we come together or when we, as a body of Christ, worship. And so uh, today we're talking about a practice that addresses that temptation to hold a little back, the offering. And now, don't tune me out. For those of you at home, don't, don't turn off the screen just yet. Don't head for the doors. If you're a guest, I'm I'm so sorry that you showed up on the Sunday, we're talking about the offering. If you're watching online and you're a guest, hang in there with me. I think this is so important for our lives and for our faith. I think this is important for you, even if you do, do not end up at CPC. Ultimately, I think this is a very important thing for, for you to wrestle with. Why do we take up an offering when we gather for worship? We take up an offering to learn to offer our lives to God. The offering teaches us to offer everything we have to God. Because we are constantly tempted to hold a little bit back. And we often hold back out of fear. Fear of scarcity. Fear of failure. Fear of loss of control. Fear often drives us to hold a little bit back. But the problem is, when we allow fear to let us hold a little bit back in one area of our lives, it then starts to make us believe that we can hold back anything we want. Because our lives and our faiths are not compartmentalized that way. So when we give into the fear in one area of our lives, it actually teaches us that the fear is okay. That it's okay to operate out of holding something back out of fear, and so we come back to an offering in worship. We give as a part of the regular rhythms of being a part of the church because it's teaching us to offer everything we have to God. One of the things that we've said in this series about worship is that worship is what happens when Christ followers intentionally practice their faith in such a way that we are drawn into God's purposes for our lives and the world. You see, we give because we don't want to settle for less than God's purposes for our lives and for the world. And when we practice sacrificial generosity, it is forming us to offer all of our lives to God, not just some of our lives, so that we don't settle. So this morning we're going to look at some text in Scripture that show us what what the Bible says about what it means to not hold back when we're offering our lives to God, So we're going to start in the Old Testament in a book called Leviticus. It, it'll go on the screens. I apologize, we are down one projector today. You've probably already noticed, um, but it'll be on the screens. You can follow along in your Bibles or on your phones. We're in Leviticus 27, verse 30. It says, Every tithe of the land whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. And so tithe is probably a word you've heard before. If you've been in churches, you've probably heard the word tithe. But tithe literally just means a tenth. And the thing I want you to see about a tithe is a tithe was the first tenth. And it was mandatory. So every Israelite was obligated. They could not opt out. They were obligated to give the first tenth of their harvest, the first tenth of their produce to the Lord, to the temple. And there was a really specific reason why. It's because when God rescued the Israelites out of Egypt in an event we call the Exodus, he then brought them into the promised land and they had no way of living together. All they knew was slavery in Egypt. They did not have a way to live together. And so in the first few books of the Bible, known as the Torah, the first five books, God sort of gives them instructions about how to live together. And as God was creating a brand new life from scratch for his people, he wanted to sort of bake into their rhythms that sacrificial generosity was not an option, that it was part of their way of life. And so the tithe was built into what it meant to be a functioning member of their people group. But then what was the tithe for? What was the tithe used for? So turn then to Numbers chapter 18, verse 21. It says, to the Levites, and so pause there, the Levites were one of the 12 tribes of Israel and their Whole tribe was designated to serve as temple helpers, temple servants. They executed the functions of the temple. So to the Levites, I have given every tithe in Israel. So the tithes are for the Levites for an inheritance in return for their service that they do, their service in the tent of meeting. So they had not yet built a temple, so the tent of meeting was the temple. Uh, So the people of Israel do not come near. The tent of meeting, lest they bear sin and die. So, the, the normal Israelites, non-authorized Israelites, could not come to the temple because they were considered to be unclean. The Levites went through all these rituals to make themselves authorized and clean to come to the temple so that they could perform the duties of the temple that no one else could perform. And so that was what that's what this is talking about. The Levites shall serve, shall do the service of the tent of meeting of the temple, and they shall bear their iniquity, the sins of the people. It shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generation. Generations, And among the people of Israel, they shall have no inheritance. So all the other 11 tribes had land, therefore an inheritance, therefore an income. But the Levites had no land and therefore no inheritance and no income. For the tithe of the people of Israel, which they present as a contribution to the Lord, I have given to the Levites for an inheritance. So the Levites... Were provided for by the tithe. So, what I want you to see is that God uses the tithe to provide for the economic sustainability of the worship center. That that was the purpose of the tithe in Old Testament Israel. And it's incredibly important that we get that because it's exactly why we would come together and we would give to a local church like CPC because we are supporting the work of ministry, the work of spiritual nourishment. And the other thing that was used uh, with the tithe was it was used to nourish the poor, the marginalized Israelites in their community. So to provide for those on the margins, to provide for the least of these. And so that's exactly why God built It in to his people that they are supposed to contribute to the common collective good of their spiritual nourishment. So, when we ask you to give to CPC, we're asking you to come together and go all in on the mission here, which is to provide discipleship for the people of this church that we might go into the world and demonstrate the love of Christ to others. That's why any of us would give. I mean, it's important to be generous. To other organizations, but when you're committed to a church, it's important that you're financially committed because God is doing something collectively with us that you can't hold back part of your life from. We need to all be all in on this place because it's what God calls us to be a part of. And it's not about what God desires. From you, it's about what God desires for you. And he makes that clear uh in Psalm 50. So if you look at Psalm 50, starting in verse 7, this is God talking to his people, and he says, Hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your fold. For every beast of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. God is saying, I don't need you to give me a bull. I already own everything. So keep going, verse twelve. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? I know that's a little gross. What he's talking about the sacrifices that are made in the temple. He's saying they're not for me. Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and. Call upon me in the day of trouble; I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. So, one of the things that we do in our household is we cook a lot. We love to cook, and I, because I'm hanging around, I often get asked to help. And I get asked to help out, and sometimes I go, you know, that's uh, it's a little too complicated for me. It's a little too much. Chopping onions is tough. And what I find is that the moment that getting asked to help with a recipe gets complicated, I go, whoa, whoa, too much for me. Too much. It's too complicated. Well, we might look at the offering system that God sets up in the Old Testament as way too complicated. God, why do you have to be so burdensome on your people? God, why, why are there so many rules? Why is it so difficult to follow you? Why do you require so much, God? But here's the thing it actually wasn't that God was requiring a lot of them. You see, Israel was surrounded by all these other nations, and all of the nations around them had their own sacrificial systems that they tried to please their deities or their gods with. And they had to experiment by what we would say is trial and error. Is this enough? Is it two two goats? Is it three bulls? Is it ten hens? Is it seven chickens? I don't know how to keep God happy, but we better keep trying. And so for God to give them clear instructions about what to do was actually a gift. It was actually a grace. God removed the ambiguity of what it looked like to lay their lives before, to offer everything, to not hold anything back. Think about the recipe. Most of us can't just go into a kitchen and whip up a really complex dish from scratch. The recipe removes the ambiguity. It gives clear steps It's for us. It's not that it requires a lot from us. It's for us. You see, God does not demand sacrifice just from you. God desires sacrifice for you. He's teaching you not to hold back, to not settle for less than what he has for your life. And anything short of sacrificial generosity is holding back. We see this play out in a story in the Gospels. In Luke 21, it says Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. And he said, Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty, in all put in all she had to live on. Out of her poverty, she put in all she had to live on. In the Old and the New Testament in Scripture, we see stories of people who give an offering and yet their lives aren't changed. They give an offering and yet God somehow doesn't seem pleased. Why? It's because it's not sacrificial. It's out of their abundance, meaning out of more than what they need to live on. And it's okay if you give out of your abundance. But don't expect for your faith to be stretched if you're not stretching yourself in sacrifice. This is what God calls us to. This is what this woman in the story, the woman puts in two small coins. And Jesus says she gives more than the rest of them because she gave all that she had to live on, that she was moving beyond fear to faith, that sacrificial generosity was chasing the fear out of her relationship with God, chasing the fear out of her life. We see this story keep playing out with the earliest Christians in 2 Corinthians 8. It says, We want you to know, brothers, And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then, to, then by the will of God to us. It says that they were poor. They had nothing. And yet they gave so much that their generosity became famous and is now recorded in the pages of Scripture. For them, nothing compared to the gift of God's grace. And therefore, no gift in response, no sacrifice was too lavish. Sacrificial generosity is always driven by a grateful heart, and a grateful heart forms generous and grateful people. It's not about from you, it's about for you, and it never, ever, ever leaves you where you are. Um, Our own financial journey, my, my family's own financial journey has has had its ups and downs. And so my wife and I got married right out of college. And so pretty much any of our adult life has been married life. And um, there have been seasons where we've been just fine about our generosity and there have been times where it's been easy to let it slip and it's often around we make a move or finances are tight or you know giving systems change and we forget to to re-up for the year and so there have been seasons in our lives where it's been oh it's been four months and we've not we've, we forgot to give anything oh well we'll we'll give when when things when things smooth out when we kind of catch up on finances or when we're making a little more. And so we've had all these ups and downs in our own journey, and, and, and I just wanted to make sure you guys knew that, that as a pastor, we're not, not perfect in how we approach sacrificial generosity. But I did want to say this. At no point when we were withholding generosity did we ever feel like we had more. At no point when we were withholding generosity did we ever feel like life was better and our faith was stronger and we had more to live on. It never, ever, ever worked that way, right? We cannot expect to get what God wants for us while, while we're withholding what God desires for us. We cannot expect everything that God has for us Until we start to experience everything God desires for us. And that includes generosity. Where are you holding something back? It might be finances. It might be some other area of your life. Where do you find yourself holding something back? Just like the tithe was not optional for the ancient Israelites, sacrifice is not optional for the Christian faith. We follow a Savior. We are shaped by a Savior who sacrificed his life for us. Sacrifice is central to who we are if we know Jesus. We are redeemed through the sacrificial death and resurrection of our Savior. Sacrificial generosity forms us to not hold anything back from Jesus, to let his redemption work its way all the way deep in our lives. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to let go of control. It's hard for me to let go of control. I I like to be in control of everything. and, And sometimes even generosity can be about control. Sometimes we give with strings attached. Sometimes we try to give so that we can regain control over our faith. Sometimes we give to try to regain control over our church. But I want you to know that generosity is never, ever, ever about gaining control. Generosity is about breaking control. It's about breaking the control of sin in our lives. About breaking the control of all those things that we're afraid to let go because we're worried our lives won't be the same without them. Sacrificial generosity breaks the power of everything that threatens to hold us back from a free loving, full relationship with God. It's not just about money. It's about all of us. The offering teaches us to offer everything we have to God so that we might trust him with all that he wants to do in our lives. I want to close with a short, short story. Many of you saw that last Sunday, longtime Jeopardy! host Alex Trebek passed away and um, there have been lots of outpourings in the news and stories shared this past week and one that I saw you may have seen on the news as well but uh, a recent contestant named Bert Thacker was on the show and after uh, Alex asked him if there was anybody at home he wanted to give a shout out to and Alex didn't expect what came next but Bert said actually what I wanted to do was to say thank you to you. And so Bert was a man who was born in India and at eight years old was brought over to the United States and didn't speak any English. And he told the story of every night he would sit on his grandfather's lap and watch Jeopardy. And he learned, to watch, learned, he learned English watching Jeopardy. He learned English because of Alex Trebek. So in this teary exchange, he's sharing this with Alex Trebek. And all I could think was Alex Trebek had no idea what his legacy was doing in the world. He just didn't hold back. He just gave himself to the work. He gave himself to his life's calling. He did not hold back. He didn't set out to teach an eight-year-old Indian boy English. And yet he had no idea what was happening out there with his legacy. And I think that's true of us. When we don't hold back, we have no idea what God might desire to do with us, to do with our lives, to do with our influence. But when we hold back, we allow the power of fear to to set in and to allow us to settle for less than what God has for us. What hinders you from giving yourself fully to God and his work in your lives? We cannot give ourselves fully to God while holding something back. We cannot give ourselves fully to God while holding something back. But when we give ourselves over to everything that God wants for us, when we sacrificially give of our lives, we're opening ourselves up to what God desires to do.